Hello, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio for the Almighty. And we have a very special guest, friend, brother in Christ that we are so delighted and honored to be with this night. Check us out at ilovemyfamily.us where you can join us to go more deeply into this great adventure. There you will find so many tools to help your family, small groups, couples come together to talk and pray. Check out the Live It Gathering guide at ilovemyfamily.us. Two quick commercials. We are so excited to be on the fourth leg of a four-stop journey. Um, Incarnation, uh, Reviving One Nation Under God, Belief and Beverage Nights, the third Thursday of every month. And our final one is taking place on November 17th with Dr. Slack. Um, it takes place at GMC of Perrysburg, a marvelous community really being attuned to God's purpose and will in us and through us. So check that out at massimpact.us forward slash BNB. And as, believe it or not, we are really less than a month away from Advent. We really invite you to embrace this adventure so we don't look back maybe at Christmas time or months later and say, was it really worth it or what's the difference really? Make that commitment now. We invite you to embrace the Bethlehem Family Challenge. Find out more at presentsforchristmas.com, presentsforchristmas.com. Now, folks, we want to set the stage tonight with our wonderful guest, Peter Range, the one and only Woo-hoo! Peter Range. He is uh, he has dignified and graced the airways of Annunciation Radio for many years and is currently the head of Ohio Right to Life Society. We're going to talk about his background, his journey, what's at stake, particularly during this election week. We are capturing this program a day before the election, and uh, we do know that tomorrow is one of the most consequential elections in history. You always hear that. Every election is consequential. God gives us the vote and that makes us culpable. We are responsible for informing our consciences and not only that really being voices um, for truth and for a one nation under God to those around us. So all of that is absolutely true but the biggest foundation that we want to set is really a passage that came to me probably in my life early on and when I spoke with Peter uh, as he was discerning his current position it seemed to be something that we really resonated with and I invite you to listen because it doesn't just include he and his wife and my wife and I and so many godly good people around us. We believe it it is really a prophecy given to Ezekiel that speaks to the hearts and minds of every leader today. What is God speaking of? So, Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, 
a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. I'm just going to conclude this verse 9. There's much more to go in Ezekiel 37, but I just want to repeat this fast last line because it is God speaking to us today, our call to prophesy, our call to hear his voice, his breath of life, the Holy Spirit speaking into us at this hour in human history. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Welcome to Ignite Radio Live, Peter. How are you doing today? <laughs> Greg and Stephanie, it's so great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so- for being willing to be with us. We just love you so much and are so honored to be walking side by side with you. So, Peter, before we do a deep dive, I just want to pulse you right now. As you heard those words speaking to us, just We're going to get deeper into it, but just before we go back and and capture your history, what images are coming to mind? How is it impacting your soul? Yeah, so reading that verse again or hearing you guys kind of read it uh, kind of brought me back to our meeting, Greg, actually having coffee there in Toledo and talking about this particular passage. And what struck me today was, you know, the fact that God asks Ezekiel the question, mortal, can these bones live? Mm -hmm. Um, The Lord knows the answer to that question. He is going to raise up. Uh, these dry, dead bones. But he asks Ezekiel the question. He invites him into this relationship, this consideration of God's power and his majesty. And I think so often in our pro-life conversations we have with people, the most effective tool that I've ever found is simply to ask individuals who may have a different worldview or perspective on this issue or the gospel or any other, um, just to ask them questions. You know, we can't necessarily always just give the truth to somebody. They have to discover it for themselves. And so I love that the Lord asks Ezekiel a question. I think that's really instructive for us in our conversations and building the culture of life to invite people into relationship, invite them to consider things maybe they haven't considered before, not by telling them, but by simply asking them a question and allowing them to discover the truth for themselves. Thank you so much for that, Peter. Peter, identify some of the key themes that um, I would really like to do a more deep dive in on the other side of us hearing your story. But uh, there was a significant victory this past week, uh, Bowling Green. I'd like you to just maybe say a word about that. Say a word about the elections that, depending on when people are hearing this, is happening, is playing out. How consequential is it, if you don't mind addressing that? The third thing is, I've heard you communicate with such heartfelt eloquence at the March for Life Mm -hmm. down in uh, Columbus, which was fabulous, as well as a number of occasions at the various banquets, that what is so critical is that we have the heart of our God for everyone. At the heart of politics, which is uh, awakening people to their true unsurpassed dignity as sons and daughters of God. Yeah, thanks, Greg. So there's a lot there. I would start with the Bowling Green City Council, as you just mentioned. Unfortunately, we see this as a nationwide trend where pregnancy centers are literally under attack. So we've had 73 pro-life pregnancy centers or organizations literally vandalized bricks thrown through their Mm. windows since the Dobbs leak early this past summer. Mm. And so the ACLU and other groups have started this initiative 
to really uh, attack our pregnancy centers from a legal perspective. So if you kind of trace the roots of what's going on here in Northwest Ohio, all you need to do is go down to Columbus. And Elizabeth Brown, she's the president of the city council there in Columbus. Elizabeth Brown is the daughter of Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. Mm. Um, And she has put forward legislation there in Columbus, which last year made women seeking abortions a protected class under our law. As you know, someone who has a different race is Mm. a protected class under our law. And so the following year, what they did then, they partnered with Pro-Choice Ohio. All this got passed at Columbus City Council to investigate pregnancy centers, whether or not they were um, uh, giving women misinformation when they came into the pregnancy center. So that's happening right now in Columbus, and we see little old Bowling Green, Ohio, kind of Mm. following the same pattern. We have their Twitter accounts where they're talking about working together. The ACLU, again, has laid this all out on their website as Mm. far as how they're attacking these pregnancy centers to shut them down. If there's anything we can all agree on, whether you're left or right, conservative Mm -hmm. or progressive, it should be these pregnancy centers right. that are offering women uh, free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests, free diapers, free formula. Uh, many of them helping with rent assistance, many of them helping with clothes and other things that moms need to survive and thrive uh, some of these difficult circumstances. But yet we see the left attacking our pregnancy centers. So a high right to life came in uh, as well as a few other groups uh, from Columbus and said, look, we're not going to stand for this. Um, and so we threatened a lawsuit against uh, Bowling Green City Council because the ordinance as the way it was written was unconstitutional. They have since kind of walked back and taken out some of the teeth of legislation, Mm. but I still don't want to see it passed. And Mm. so we're still working to defeat this ordinance because it really doesn't make any sense. And we we feel like if they get this first bit passed, they're just going to come back two or three years later Mm -hmm. and try to put some of that teeth back in. So that brings us to our elections and why that's just so incredibly important that we elect pro-life leaders. And let me just read this to you because I think it's important for your listeners to understand or appreciate this. Um, And I'm not sitting here endorsing any candidate. I'm just trying to help individuals form their conscience Mm -hmm. so they know what they're voting for when they vote for one party or another. And so from the Democratic Party platform on page 32, this is what they stand for. So if a candidate has a D after their name, This is what they stand for. This is what they're signing up to. This is what they believe in on this issue of life. It says, quote, we believe unequivocally, like the majority of Americans, that every woman should be able to access high quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. (sighs) It then later goes on to say we will repeal the Hyde Amendment and protect and codify the right to reproductive freedom. President Joe Biden, who claims the Catholic faith as his own, has promised that his first piece of legislation, if the Democrats win back the House and Senate, will be codify Roe v. Wade, allowing abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. <sighs> now, contrast that with the Republican Party platform, pages 13 and 14, which says this, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. So literally, when we go to the ballot boxes, lives are on the line because individuals in these parties have made up their minds as far as where they stand on this particular issue. And the church has been completely clear. We could dive more into this, but if you just go to Living the Gospel of Life, for example, from 1998, it says, those who justify their inaction on the grounds that abortion is the law of the land need to recognize 
that there is a higher law, the law of God. No human law can validly contradict the commandment, thou shall not kill. When we're voting for political parties, we're also saying something about where we are at spiritually mm. as well. And this goes much deeper than an R or a D. It goes to the very law and very heart of God who told us, thou shall not kill. It's time that we stand up as a church. We rise up as a church. We put on the new self. We walk in the newness mm. of life. We stay no more to this culture of death, which is killing children at the pace of a million kids every single year in this nation. Nothing is taking more human life on the face of the planet than the issue of abortion. It's time that these dead bones come to life. Hmm. We as a ch we go to pray, we come to end abortion at the ballot box, in our neighborhoods, in our streets, with those women who are in need of our assistance and help, uh, and we can do it. If the church would show up, abortion would end overnight. But unfortunately, uh, we just haven't showed up as we've been called to do so. Um, I'd love to talk about how we get into that and how we do this with, with love and truth and grace. Um, but I'll let you lead, Greg, as far as where you want me to go next. No, thank you. I think we'll, we'll hold off on that for after we hear your um, your background, because I think many of us know your name and have been blessed by hearing your voice. And folks, be attuned online, if you will, through all the social media. In fact, if you are on Facebook, which many of our listeners are, the most recent post Peter has is he simply says to my fellow Catholics, as you form your conscience, as you prepare to vote this Tuesday, and he quotes from Pope Francis, quote, I take this opportunity to appeal to all politicians, regardless of their faith convictions, to treat the defense of the lives of those who are about to be born and enter into society as the cornerstone of the common good. Their killing in huge numbers with the endorsement of states is a serious problem that undermines the foundations of the construction of justice com comprising the proper solution of any other human and social issue. So I just want to jump back and Peter, you don't have to comment because I don't want you to get in any trouble. <laughs> but I have to say listening to you and you reading directly from the Democrat platform and the Republican Party platform, I just I, I pray that it's just anger, but I feel myself welling up with such anger that any believer, in particular mm. Catholics, can ever claim to be a Democrat and hold those things, let alone anybody vote for a pro-abortion politician in any fashion. And it makes me both angry and quite honestly sick when we see bumper stickers on cars in church parking lots supporting mm -hmm. these candidates. And so I just urge you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray through that, to to really look at that hard and listen. And, you know, I mean, we're all responsible. We're all accountable. And the blood is on our hands. I don't know how else to say it. So, so Steph, I'll let you take him back in just a second. But I want to add this. We pray every Sunday during the Mass, the Our Father, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And I think a real shift in our thinking to recognize we are called to be those prophets, priests, prophet, and king. We are called, appointed, and anointed, which means what? That we don't just passively pray. We avail ourselves to being the answer to prayer. And that means, particularly on that Sunday preceding the election this week, um, 
I'll just say I, I am encouraged by the many priests whom I know who made concerted efforts to educate and form their parishioners, the, the community, in understanding that this is kingdom work. This is what it means to be Catholic. This is proper in a homily during the Mass. This is not a shaming. This is a, a all of us called to be mindful of how consequential this is, and that we've been given breath in our lungs, as that passage says, Ezekiel 37. Are we using it well? We'll get back to that. Steph, go ahead. Sorry that I uh, <laughs> went off there. But, all right, so Revelations twelve eleven. they defeated the enemy, the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb, our holy mass, and by the word of their testimony. Peter, we love to give our guests an opportunity to defeat the enemy by the word of their testimony. Can you share your background um, and just how you got to where you are today? I want to say um, that the very first time that I met you was we were preparing for an Ignite down in uh, Fostoria, maybe, um, or St. Tom's, maybe, but it was it was early on, right after we had moved here from Erie, Pennsylvania, and my first encounter with you was this young man full of the spirit and uh, joy in particular, and a servant heart. You were ready, you were helpful, you were welcoming, and um, I, I just, and of course, then the Erie, Pennsylvania connection that we have certainly warmed my heart to you even more more. But um, so fill that out for us, Peter. Give us your story. Yeah, thank you so much for the question and, and look forward to returning to some of our opening thoughts. Here. Uh, but I hope, you know, sharing my story gives individuals an opportunity to see why I believe so passionately in this pro-life cause. And as you mentioned, Erie, Pennsylvania, my story really begins with my father who grew up in Erie, PA. Uh, but three weeks before he was going to be vaccinated with the polio vaccine, contracted polio. Um, so he became paralyzed from the neck down. <sighs> thankfully, through some rehabilitation, he was able to kind of regain about 50% use of his right arm. Um, and my tough Irish grandmother, Mary Agnes Range, uh, told my, my father, Jerry, you know, Jerry, you're going to learn to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did. Uh, it would take him literally 40 minutes just to put his pants on in the morning, but he learned to do that with his one good right arm. <laughs> To make a long story short, he went off to the University of Illinois, he got his master's in journalism, moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where he was working for a Cleveland plane dealer, and then he was getting a ride home from a buddy one night on the shoreway into Lakewood, and he got into a car accident, and his car ended up smack dab in between two hospitals, St. John's, which was Catholics, and St. Luke's, which was Protestant. So the cops were standing by my father and said, well, hey, what hospital do you want to go to? And my dad, who was nominally Catholic at the time, said, well, Take me to the Catholic hospital. So he goes to St. John's, and the nurse assigned to his room was a woman by the name of Mary Jean Cook. They met, they fell in love, and they were married a year later. So, you know, your life can turn on a dime just like that. You never quite know. But, you know, Dad used to like a joke. If he would have gone to the Protestant hospital, he would have married a nice Protestant. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, they started having kids. They had six kids. I was the fifth out of six. And. In 1989, we were living in Dayton, Ohio. My dad had taken a job with the Dayton Daily News and uh, loved living down in Southwest Ohio. But 89, dad was suffering from some severe depression, anxiety, uh, had a bottle of pills and he was gonna swallow it and he wanted to end his own life. And he was just, you know, keeping up with the stress. And when I get angry or upset myself, you know, I can go out and I can run, I can lift weights or whatever. But my dad was just kind of stuck in his body, right? So mm-hmm. he was really my mother insisted he go see a psychiatrist, which he did. Uh, the psychiatrist was great for him, helping him through a lot of different issues he had struggled with. You know, his teenage years he spent uh, on a back in a hospital as he was recovering from polio. So 
he was getting through a lot of different things that he had struggled with as a youth. Um, but at the same time, the psychiatrist was prescribing my father a medication to help him fall asleep at night. It was FDA approved and everything, so government approved. But what they didn't know is the company that was making this drug was making it illegally. Mm. So it ended up killing about 50 people in the United States, injuring thousands more. And in 1989, when I was eight years old, re-paralyzing my father again from the neck down. Um, so the last 26 years of his life, I mean, my dad was completely dependent upon my mom and us six kids for his every single need. And, you know, I remember being a freshman in high school and I played football, basketball, and baseball, and I thought I was pretty hot stuff. But, you know, if mom was sick, I'd be called home. The older kids had all graduated. I'd be called home and I'd have to get my dad on off the bedpan or mm. change his urine. Or, or suction the mucus out of his lungs, whatever it may be that he needed for that basic survival on a day-to-day -day basis. So it kind of makes you grow up a little bit more quickly and helps you realize what's really important in life. Uh, and my parents taught me really two really important lessons. So my mother, it was this, that we're called to say yes to the covenantal commitments that we make in mm -hmm. our life. And I know you guys work and, and I'm, I just praise God for it because it's been so amazing. It's been helpful to my own life about supporting families, supporting marriages, because that really is the core unit of society. And when marriages and families break down, we see what we see today, a culture in disarray. Um, and so my mother taught me to stay faithful to those covenantal commitments, and it's been so helpful to think about her example over and over again in my own particular marriage. And then my, for my father, you know, despite the fact that he couldn't stand up and embrace his wife of 40 years, just dance with her, uh, give her a hug, you know, uh, despite the fact he couldn't go out and play catch with one of his four boys. Every day, my dad woke up and he said, yes, yes to life. Mm -hmm. You know, and we live in this culture and society which aborts a preborn child if, well, it might grow up poor or it might be mentally challenged or it might be born with a physical deformity. Uh, we kill kids because we feel like they're inconvenient. Mm -hmm. It means to end in our nation we need mm. to embrace life particularly as people of the church we know that the cross that the crosses that are given us these are our pathway to the resurrection and that god can make use of anything as saint john Vianney said and in fact god is an expert at this right i mean god took the cross the worst thing that we've ever done as human beings we killed god's son mm. and he did fireballs down to earth to destroy us he turned the death of his son into the resurrection and our hope for eternal life so whatever cross we're dealing with, we're struggling. I know your listeners, I know that I have my crosses that I'm struggling with. But when I embrace those crosses, when I sit with them, when I, when I cry with them, uh, when I allow those crosses to mold and shape me, mm. it is through the cross that I receive new life. It is through the cross that I'm able to see the world as God sees it, that I'm able to suffer for the good of others. I'm able to lay down my life so that others may receive eternal salvation, because this is what it's all about. Mm. And when I talk about these issues of, of voting, I mean, this is, what I, this is why I believe so passionately about it, because the, the church has taught us. I mean, St. John Paul II said this in the Gospel of Life, that Christians have a grave obligation of conscience not to cooperate formally in practices which, even if permitted by civil legis legislation, are contrary to God's law. Mm. I want people to vote for life, not just because I care about building the kingdom of God here on earth or our government and the way that it functions and creating a culture of life as a society, but it's because I care about individual souls. And I don't want to see individual souls because they're being captive by 
uh, deceit, quite frankly, from one of the political parties going go down a path that's going to affect their eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Amen. that's harsh, but just kind of a reality of what we're dealing with in the midst of this. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, my really begins with my father um, and moves on to John Carroll University. It's a Jesuit school on the east side of Cleveland. And, you know, I know the Jesuits, um, the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola is so incredibly powerful. Mm. And encountered that when I was uh, there in school at John Carroll and got to go on a mission trip uh, to Duran, Ecuador. And since have been to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and uh, have taught in the inner city of Cleveland and worked with immigrants in southwest Florida. Mm. Those experiences working with the poor opened me up to a, a whole new dimension of, of Christ's love and Christ's grace and Christ's miracles that he works on a daily basis. And it was through those experiences with the poor that I said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, I'm now here all for you. And I felt like through those experiences and volunteering, he was calling me to a deeper relationship and considering priesthood mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church. And so through some discernment, went into seminary with the Society of Jesus, and I got to experience the 30-day silent retreat, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. It's five hours of prayer every day with the Lord in the scriptures. Imagine yourself as maybe one of the apostles or one of the bystanders and really receiving the grace that he has to give you through your imagination. And it was in that 30-day retreat that I encountered the love of God beyond or imagine. I mean, mm. it is the way that I treat every human being in my life because I know that this Jesus guy that we talk about, like he's real and he passionately mm. loves us. He mm. wants to intimacy and relationship with us. And woe is me because so often in my life, I forget just to talk to him as a friend because that's what he most deeply desires mm. is my friendship, is my love, is my companionship. Um, and so having that experience in seminary was just so instrumental um, and I can share many many stories which led me to discern out of seminary but now I'm a, a happily married man with uh, five beautiful children Ignatius Allen up in heaven we had an early miscarriage with our first child mm-hmm. and we have Gian six John Paul who's four Joseph Peter who's two and then William Dominic whose name means warrior belonging to the Lord <laughs> He's just four months now and uh, is uh, certainly a warrior by based upon how often he's up at night. <laughs> so I have to just point out, we have, of course, a Joseph, a John Paul, and a Dominic. So uh, here we go. Another neat connection. Plus, I, I know there's more that as this unveils, but Peter, we glossed over too quickly the move to now we have a family. Give us the 411 and the Peter, Laura, apocalypsis, the unveiling, the saga. Yeah, no, thank you so much for the question. I, and I love telling this story because it really is a, it's a great love story. Um, and so when I discerned out of seminary, I lived with homeless men for a year in my life in Garfield Heights, Ohio, at a place called Opportunity House, which was an amazing experience. Uh, would love to share more about that. But I was discerning about what God was calling me to do next. And I felt like I had my master's in theology at the time, felt like maybe if I could pursue a PhD, um, you know, land on a college campus, do some ministry, and then I could take the Greek or Hebrew I needed to kind of pursue uh, that further career. Um, and nothing had been coming up when I was looking around, so I started a novena to Our Lady. On the ninth day of the novena, um, I still couldn't find anything. So where else do you go to find your future but Google? Jobs. <laughs> and St. Thomas More came up in Bowling Green, Ohio. I called out to Father Michael Dandaran, and a week later I was hired, and I was finding myself in Northwest Ohio. Now. My first week out here, um, I think I called my mom. I said, Mom, um, 
you know, and being from Cleveland and everything of that nature, where I spent a lot of my adult life, I, I said, you know, people talk a little bit slower out here in Northwest Ohio, Mom. I'm, I'm surrounded by cornfields. <laughs> I think I just want to come home. And she said, Peter, just stay put. You just moved out there. Say a prayer to St. Rita of Kasha. She's the patron saint of hopeless causes. <laughs> okay, I, thanks, Mom, I guess. But So I started devotion to St. Rita, though. And the next weekend, Laura came to visit her two younger brothers who were students there at BGSU at the time. And she was singing in the choir. Uh, completely beautiful. Just blew me away. Beautiful voice. Uh, beautiful person. I, I got a chance to talk to her afterwards after Mass, a little parish picnic they were having. And then I went in to tell my buddy about this amazing woman that I met, that she was Catholic, she was a nurse, she sings in the choir. And my buddy interrupts me halfway through and says, hey, did you get a chance to meet my girlfriend, Laura? <laughs> Oops. Girlfriend to him the whole time, yeah. So embarrassing. But they ended up dating for another three months. I ended up uh, breaking up. And three months later, uh, I went to my friend and, and you know asked permission that if he'd be okay if I pursued Laura and everything. And he was so gracious, and he's happily married now, so everything worked out in that kind of Beautiful. But, um, uh, but yeah, so Laura and I started dating, and uh, I was still struggling, though, as far as, you know, did God, was he calling me to the vocation of marriage? I discerned out of seminary pretty convicted that I was being called to marriage, but I still had this kind of like, the best vocation uh, must be the priesthood. I mean, there's mm. nothing like being able to hold up bread and have that bread turn into the body and blood mm. of Jesus Christ. There's absolutely nothing better. And I would not be a saint unless I followed this one path. Um, and so I was struggling. And, and Laura and I, we had a couple of breakups as I was kind of going back and forth between what God was kind of calling me to do. And I think it may be in the midst of the second breakup, Greg and Stephanie, I came over to you guys' house. Um, I don't know if you remember this particular occasion, but um, I spent the, the evening with you guys mm -hmm. having dinner. And then yes guys had this time with your family where you went through the day and did this kind of daily examine with your kids and you know your kids were apologizing to each other and and saying what they were thankful for and and i'm like what what did i just step in <laughs> this is special this is something i've mm. never seen in family my parents were amazing people uh my mom particularly the way that she lived her catholic faith incredibly devotional but we had just never done anything of that nature where we sat down as a family at night and did that type of kind of examine and pray, praise and worship. And I was blown away and I was kind of convicted, like this, this married vocation, like this can be a holy vocation mm. that this too was a cross. If I picked it up and if I lived it well, and if I lived it sacrificially, this could lead souls to heaven as well. Um, so I'm in, eternally grateful for mm. you guys and your guys witness just as a couple outside of the work and ministry, mm. just as the way that you live your personal lives. Praise God. Did help towards you know, marriage with Laura. And, and again, you know, that daily exam is something I do with my kids now at night. You know, mm. we uh, adore God. We praise him and thank him for his goodness. And then we apologize if there's anything that we're sorry for. And my kids are just six, four, two and baby. Right. So mm. um, the six and four year old to see them apologize to each other, though. I mean, mm. it's just, it's, I, I love it. That's awesome. Um, and then we praise say, God. We, and, and even my two-year-old sometimes will come up with somebody to pray for that I'm like, oh, how's that even on his head? But Very sweet. I think that's the Holy Spirit just placing that on my two-year-old's heart. You know, the Holy Spirit, if he's active in anybody, it's he's active in the innocent, uh, including our little children. And so to give our little children an opportunity to hear the voice of the Lord, and let me just pause there because that's my favorite thing to do with my kids when it mm. comes to prayer, whether it's here in the house or taking them to church. I love to just to have them before the Blessed Sacrament, even mm -hmm. if they're running around a little church, an empty church, whatever, 
But I, each time we go in, we take one minute. I'm like, guys, just close your eyes just for one minute and listen to see if God has anything to say to you. And without like any time, I think every time one of the kids, there's just something profound. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, God is actually speaking to them. You know, and it's a reminder to me. Yeah, the Lord wants to speak to me. Mm-hmm. And I just need to give time and the space, even if it's just a minute, uh, to speak to my heart. That's awesome. Just hold that thought a second. Thank I want to magnify it, and I'm blessed by you giving witness and any parents who are listening. Uh, of course, we have shared the story that our earliest days of introducing our children to the majesty and wonder of being in the presence of God was in a chapel at St. Joseph in Erie, Pennsylvania. Father Larry Richards worked hard to make it a place of Eucharistic adoration, perpetual. 24-7 perpetual adoration. And uh, they had different statues and different things there. And I would say to the kids, you know, you, you you can go from a statue to another, but you need to be reverent. You need to spend time there. You need to, you know, give your heart and mind and attention. And it really worked that allowed and balanced their, their discretion, even ages four and five, to really be reverent in front of, say, the statue of Mary on the left or Joseph on the right. And then, of course, the Eucharist, there was always a kneeler right in front of Jesus. Where they'd always come back to. Absolutely. And also, Peter, just what a great memory and an encouragement, if I could make a quick commercial to parents, as difficult as it is um, with the digital world that we have and how we've lost ground in relational, meaningful connection, which I would say we're going to get there in this conversation. The heart of the the pro-life movement is, you know, our being like Christ, self-giving love is making time once a week to talk and pray in a meaningful way and just direct you folks again to ilovemyfamily.us. This Live It Gathering Guide is the kind of thing we did. And uh, really, we're grateful that it's blessed you, but we, we are so humbled that God has blessed us with the occasion of the treasures of the church and our families to, to really live the Trinity, which is pretty awesome. So for any who are listening right now, seeking God's will, uh, dating somebody, thinking about dating, just punctuate some of the key themes that brought you in discernment to, I am going to propose to this woman. Yeah, thank you so much. I think there's a couple different things that, you know, they added up over time. And I always think about, I can't remember who mentioned it to me, but they said, you know, as you're discerning your vocation, you just kind of like receive the little inspirations. And then you put them in a little jar. And mm. after a while, you look back at the jars and see which one is a little bit more full. That can kind of help you discern. And for me, it was just looking back at the jar and seeing the fullness of the mm. gift of married life that kind of really helped me. So that began in the seminary, in retreat, uh, when I was on the 30-day silent retreat. And I remember um, sitting down and, and asking the, the uh, intercession of St. John Paul II, in fact. And mm. I went to a library, and I was, again, convicted that the Lord wanted me to be a priest, that that was the only path for me, and that if I didn't, then I'd be in big trouble, right? So I went to the chapel, and I pulled out this book by St. John Paul II, and as I opened up, I'm like, here, this is clearly, I mean, he's Pope, so he's going to talk about the priesthood, how important it is. In fact, I think it was a book on the priesthood. This is perfect. I opened up the book, in the middle of the book, and it talks about the importance of the family, Mm. the importance of the father in the household, the father forming future priests for the church and yes. for the world. I'm like, darn it. So I put it back up on the shelf. <laughs> I, went, I went to the chapel and I began to pray. I'm like, John Paul, you know, what if I make the wrong choice? Like, I feel like the Lord might be calling me to leave seminary, but I, you know, I just got here a little bit ago. Like, is this really what the Lord wants? And I felt like John Paul just gently tell me, you know, Peter, when you love, you never make the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Teresa Lisieux has that part in the story of the soul where she talks about all these kind of desires of her heart for vocation. You know, she even says, I have this vocation for the priesthood. I have a vocation to be a missionary. I have a vocation for this. And she says, my vocation, though, is to love. Mm-hmm. Is to love. Mm-hmm. 
And so later on in my journey, you know, during one of those times of breakup uh, with Laura, um, I decided to pick up the daily rosary and begin praying. And I had never done this in my life. So and we good. both uh, committed to praying daily to our mother to kind of lead us. And that was really instrumental. And at the end of this 30-day period of, of prayer that we decided to do together, uh, I was preparing for a mass on the campus of Bowling Green State University. And when we would take things over to um, the the campus union there, uh, we would have to bring a large cross. Now, the cross had a base. So 30 days into this prayer of praying the daily rosary, I'm trying to get the cross into the base, which normally would slide pretty pretty easily in. But for some reason, it was kind of stuck. And, you know, so I was doing what men typically do. <laughs> you know, you can't get it. You just you just push it harder. Right? So, <laughs> harder into the, the, the base of it, and the two-by-four whacks me upside the back of the head. <laughs> now, I'm on the ground looking up at the cross. Let me take you back to earlier that morning. I prayed a prayer that morning. I said, Lord, I'm stubborn as you know what. You're going to have to hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> Watch what you pray so for. <laughs> yeah, that moment of prayer comes back to me. I'm looking up at the cross, and it just dawns on me. It's the cross, like the, vo- the call to vocation, whether it's priesthood or, or married or religious life, is the cross. And so I was avoiding more than anything. I was avoiding commitment. I was avoiding giving myself fully to another because I was afraid to lay down my life. Uh, but once I kind of got past that mm. point of like, no, like the Lord is calling you to something a deeper, a deeper relationship. I mean, it was clear where the, the wellsprings of joy were, were laid up in my life, and that was towards the married life. And so following that peace and that joy that I experienced in Eucharistic adoration, using some of the Ignatian rules for discernment. So uh, including good. just, you know, making lists before the Blessed Sacrament and praying over those and asking the Lord to speak into those lists of the positives and negatives of this vocation or that or being married to Laura or not. Um, it was just clear after I did those kind of things with reason, following, uh, you know, the Lord's call that, um, you know, marriage was the pathway to me. So, so exciting. Again, you know, marriage isn't easy. It's not perfect. It's a battle every day because the devil's after marriages and he wants to destroy them. Uh, but we got to fight back. Mm-hmm. And so when we fight back and we recognize that this is a battle, the abundant fruits and joy that comes with the gift of marriage uh, is unmatched. Amen. And I think we would need a whole show or series even to uh, give Laura the proper shout outs that she deserves. She really is an absolutely amazing, beautiful inside and out uh, daughter of God and just an amazing wife and incredible mother and the sacrifice. And yeah, she just, Laura, we love you. We're inspired by you. You rock. You know, Peter, as you're speaking, and then let's shift into kind of what's consequential. What are the dry bones today? And I think question two is, how do we speak to them? Uh, Before we get there, as you're speaking about your discernment, I very much resonate with you in the very core of our hearts that we know we're only going to be happy if we do God's will. The beauty of John Paul II, I'm getting nerdy a second here, but any who are listening, there's an objective truth, absolutely. But within that objective guideline that God gives us and reveals for our our fulfillment, um, he dignifies our experience. He dignifies this personalistic aspect and um, 
rightly aligning that is is where joy is found by surrendering. He wants us to, I remember being in seminary just like you and questioning the same things. And John Paul in seminary was an occasion for me to be mindful that yes, I'm called the image of the Trinity in a particular way. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit selflessly pouring themselves out for the good of the other, the archetypical uh, family that we are woven into. That is what marriage and family is meant to be. Genesis 127, an icon of God. And, and, you know, I think it's good challenge for us now, Peter, maybe speak to, as I said, you know, there's dry bones and how do we speak to it. But I think many marriages and families right now who are listening are very embattled. They're embattled either by just a sense of blah mediocrity, not embracing the beauty of their mission as husband, wife, and family, not quite getting it, or in the more explicit way of really battling in many I know right now where the word divorce is not distant from them. And the enemy, as you indicated also, it, you know, loves nothing more. If you have the audacity to image God, you better believe the one who hates us from the very beginning is going to try to throw a wrench in the machine, the screw tape whispering lies to us about our identity. And you, you've, as a brother in Christ, have been so bold with other brothers about the range, pardon the pun, range of issues that many of us can face in that battle. And really, you know, Satan operates in the darkness. How do we bring some of these key issues into the light and face them, which is so cornerstone to politics and everything else we're dealing with? So as usual, Greg Firehose, throwing a lot out there. Uh, what does that stir up in you, Peter, with regard to, again, what are the dry bones and how do we speak to them? Yeah, thanks, Greg. You know, I think just to go into that point a little bit further and then speaking into those dry bones after that. So first, you know, marriage is fundamental, again, to society and the way that it is structured. And so it's it's no coincidence that it's under attack in our culture today. I mean, the Bible begins with marriage in Genesis 2. They become one flesh. It ends with marriage in Revelations 19, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Mm. Paul equates the earthly marriage with the heavenly, Ephesians 5. I'm applying to Christ in the church. And then it says that God desires marriage with us, Hosea chapter 2, and I will take you for my wife forever. So the book of the Bible, um, God's word, his divine revelation, I think is a book about marriage. Mm -hmm. It's a book about God desiring marriage with us, with his people. And so no wonder it is out, uh, it's, uh, you know, under attack. Um, so when it comes to the dry bones, uh, you know, I think, gosh, you could spend three hours probably on this particular, particular question, but mm -hmm. some of it comes from Greg. I think some of it is our modern culture, which, uh, talks about this kind of randomness to the human person. Mm. And a lot of this is steeped in history. Uh, but I don't think we can underestimate um, how certain movements throughout our culture have impacted the way that we view ourselves and our own dignity as people and how just how precious we are. So true. Um, so you look at, uh, you know, Darwin's theory of evolution, right, and how much that impacted our world and our culture and people just thinking, gosh, we all just kind of developed from this primordial soup. We really mm -hmm. aren't special. We really aren't unique. But when you look at modern biology and modern genetics, and we learn just how amazing we are made. Just the other day, I had Dr. David Dorowski on my show, or Dr. Derek Dorowski on my show from Franciscan University in Steubenville. Hmm. And he was talking about, you know, we have this phrase where we say that you are one in a million. And he, he said on my show, he said, that is completely incorrect. Hmm. <laughs> he said that it is much higher than that. Uh, we're more closer to one in a billion or one in a trillion. Hmm. He walked us through the process by which 
that sperm finally encounters that egg. And when that sperm encounters that egg, the unique and amazing process that begins at that moment of conception. And so his scientific appreciation and understanding of the beginnings of the human person and just how unique that human person is from the very start uh, enabled me to see kind of in that moment, and it's something that I go out and preach about as well, just how unique and amazing that we're actually alive at this very point mm. having this conversation. And so yes. we don't think our own lives are special, unique, made with a purpose. And so when we get married, we don't think our marriages are special, unique, or made with a purpose. But our marriages have been anointed. We've been called to marry that particular person for a particular purpose at this particular time in human history. First and foundationally to love and sacrifice for one another, to love and sacrifice for the children uh, and for the spiritual children that our marriage might help uh, bring to life. And then to sacrifice and, and allow that love to spill out into our neighborhoods, into our places of work. We're not going to our places of work where we're, we are employed. We are going to places where we've been deployed by God Ooh, to share it. the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the Christian family is so important because it is the first place hmm. where the gospel of Jesus is heard. It's the first place that kids learn what it means to be a good citizen. It's the first place that kids learn uh, how to love, how to forgive. Um, and so that's why marriage is kind of so foundationally important. And so our dry, dead bones exist in our culture and society today, in my mind, because we don't realize just how unique mm. and special each and every one of us are. Yes, we are fallen. Yeah, there's there's all of that. We have twisted hearts, all of that. But we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. And so our world, which offers all these um, distractions from the real, like pornography, for example, that's a distraction from the real, from the real tangible love that the Lord mm. wants to give you a uh, husband and wife together in one flesh, that one Amen. flesh union, the real, where you can touch it, you can feel it. Pornography is something which is detached from the real. It separates the love from the physical action. Mm. And so it degrades the very gift, the, gr the greatest gift that God wants to give us uh, outside of the whole Eucharist in marriage of, of that bond of husband and wife. And so those dry dead bones exist because we've been so distracted by all these fake things. We pushed God to the horizon, so we've made anything uh, or anything possible, including you know the complete transformation of our bodies, whether it's a three-year-old you know transitioning into a different gender mm. as they. Um, that is being destroyed by the unreal. And so all we need to do as a as a people of God today, from our pastors, our deacons, our lay people, what you do on the show. Uh, every week, Greg, is to proclaim the truth, yes. the revelation of how God has made the world and made us as embodied souls. And what a gift it is when we just simply proclaim that male and female, we are made in the image of love. You know, Genesis 127 says male and female were made in the image of God. Well, in 1 John 4, we learn that God is love. <laughs> and so male and female were made in the image of love. And so male and female, we, we make visible what is God's invisible mystery? That the Father and Son's love for each other. It's so intense that that intensity is another person. It's the Holy Spirit. Mm. In the same way, you know, husband and wife's love is it's so intense that a new child is created through that love. So the Trinity is really revealed through the Trinity of the family. Father, so Son, good. and Spirit. And husband, wife, and child. Um, so that's why marriage is under attack. Because every time you attack marriage, you destroy marriage, you get divorces. You separate mom and dad, 
you separate individuals' opportunity, the, the kids' opportunity to know a heavenly father who loves them because if they don't know an earthly father that does, they'll never meet their heavenly one. Mm. Peter, clarity, urgency, power in your words and yes. what you just shared with us, that last part. It can be the uh, opening two chapters of your book, but I just think it's very powerful. So the dry bones and obviously speaking at the very core of it, how do we speak is living it, right? It's personally knowing God. Steph and I will speak of this so that what the second link of the chain is it can be poured out into our wife, thirdly poured out into our family, fourth into the world. I want you to speak though, and just with the little time that we have left <clears throat> about the importance of what I'll call holy audacity, holy audacity. And that is this quality. I'm just going to maybe define it as so attuned to the heart of the father and praying with his heart for everyone around us. Um, wisdom and prudence with love that breaks into comfort zones and has the courage to humbly speak truth. Um, you at times in your life have many stories of taking, literally taking people into your home to love them. I mean, that's an ultimate act of, of holy audacity. Just a quick example for our listeners, um, our daughter who was babysitting a couple of months ago and uh, taking the child that she was entrusted with uh, for a little walk around the neighborhood came into contact with another woman who had three children and just a very brief connection but this woman saw the light in Catherine's eyes Catherine was very affirming of her <clears throat> and in a very short period of time Catherine offered herself as a babysitter fast forward Catherine um, was brought into their home she couldn't babysit uh, just there were circumstances because the wife is, and her husband are, are, are going through a divorce and uh, but the, the wife still wanted Catherine to come over and play with the children. And so here's the point. It's just, it was burning in my heart through mass all day yesterday that I felt at least I'm going to find him and shoot a note out there and convey there are really good people who've navigated these difficult waters in the past. Uh, I, I have the audacity to reach in and just avail myself to conversation if he wants to, um, knowing that it's people's audacity in my life that has been a tremendous blessing to me. So pray for this person. And I also, those who are right now listening, maybe you're thinking, Thinking of a married man, if you're a man or a woman, a married woman going through a struggle, and maybe you feel, hey, I'm on the sidelines, there's nothing I can do. Pray with the heart of the Father of how you might speak into that. You know, you spoke of the Word of God, it is so powerful. Can we have awareness of how we are, of the fabric of the Word of God? And He gives us power when we speak in love to open doors, and perhaps the story may be five years down the road from these people. Had you not prayerfully intervened and taken that risk, we would not still be married. Or in the case of a mother who's pregnant and struggling, had you not spoken into my life, accompanied me, this beautiful child would not be now five years old. Share with us a little bit about your experience. <laughs> well, Greg, I'd be remiss if I didn't on this show just invite people to join me in mission before we do end the show at ohiolife.org in this pro-life movement. Yes. We need help in so many different ways, so please join us. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, following the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, let me just share one story with you because I think it's uh, kind of uh, illustrates uh, the way the Holy Spirit works in my life and how often I don't follow him, but how often he continues to press into my heart to make sure that I do. Um, so, you know, ran a ministry here in Northwest Ohio for seven years. We would go to the abortion facility to pray for those moms and dads to offer them, you know, a different choice, a choice for life and financial assistance, whatever it might be, hmm. so that they could choose life for their pre-born children. Well, I also encountered the former abortionist there at the mm. now called the Women's Center. But I remember the abortionist when I first reached out to him, you know, he said, F you. And, you know, that went on for a couple months where he just kind of swore at me every time I talked to him. <laughs> but eventually we struck up a relationship and we exchanged books. I gave him Peter Kreft's uh, The Unaborted Socrates. Highly recommend that book. Mm. You know, bring this full circle. It asks good questions, right? 
Uh, he gave me Christopher Hitchens' God is Not Great. I don't recommend that book. <laughs> Nonetheless, we were able to break bread together. And the last time I saw him, he actually invited me up on the abortion facility property, which in and of itself, if you're a pro-lifer and the people have been arrested now, you know that's that's a no-no. You don't go up there. But he invited me up, and so I followed the Spirit up there, and we began to talk. And I felt like the Holy Spirit put on my heart uh, to pray with him. And uh, so I do what I normally do when the Holy Spirit asks me to do something. I say, he doesn't want to pray with me. I'm not going to do that. So we continue <laughs> to talk. Five minutes go by, and I felt like the Holy Spirit again, Peter, I want you to pray with Tom. Now, I had known that he had been baptized Methodist. I know that he had some religion in his background, if you will. But I said, you know, kind of in my heart and mind, Holy Spirit, like, he, he doesn't want to pray. Trust me, I, I, he, you know, he just wants to talk about <laughs> So 10 minutes go by, and the Holy Spirit again on my heart, pray with Tom. So I said, all right, Tom, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to pray. I know it sounds crazy. Will you pray with me? And Tom said, you know, F you. And so I look up to heaven and I say, I told you. <laughs> uh, but five minutes go by. Again, it's on my heart. I'm like, all right, Tom, just just humor me. Would you pray with me just for a moment? So I close my eyes. Mm. I open up and I began to pray. And I just started talking about how special and unique Tom was, that God had a purpose and mission for his life and that God loved him and he cared for him. And as I'm praying this prayer with my eyes closed and my hands open, the man who had aborted 10,000 kids, his mm. hand, came into mine mm. and I held hands with an abortion doctor mm. and in that moment the Holy Spirit on my heart imprints this this is my son mm. I want him home mm. this is my son I want him home talking about Tom you know and, and, and um, here here I am I mean Tom is the opposite of everything that I do and I believe in and God is telling me that that's his son and he wants him home so in all our conversations and all our fights and battles over who we're voting for and all those things of that nature, it has to be done in that context. Mm. That this is God's son or God's daughter and he wants them home. So we don't hesitate to share the truth, but when we share the truth and we live our lives and we companion with these people with different worldviews and thoughts and political parties, we have to love the hell out of them. Mm. Literally love, love the it. hell out of them on a daily basis showing them with our eyes, our attentiveness, putting everything away when we're with them and we treat them like they are the only person that exists in the world because that is God's son or daughter, his immortal creation that's going to live forever mm -hmm. that he wants home. Beautiful. And we love as a church today. Folks, you are tuned into Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and we're talking about prophesying, speaking to dry bones from Ezekiel 37. I really believe a vision that is so applicable to this day that God thousands of years ago was communicating this, mis this message, this vision, this call, this command that we are called to be his presence here on this earth. And so blessed to have Peter Range with us. We do encourage you to go to ohiolife.org. You see some great tabs about news, vote pro-life, take action, donate by all means. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to have Peter just lead us in a closing prayer. As he just told a very moving story of really God's grace, moving him into a place of relationship with Tom, an abortionist who presided over the, the murder, really, of 10,000 children, and, uh, and how we're called in our own ways to break through the death in our life, to break through the resistance and be God's grace. So just a second, Peter, be prepared to lead us in prayer. Uh, just uh, commercial number one, again, invite you all to join us for our next and final Belief and Beverage Night of this year. You will not be disappointed. Dr. Kevin Slack from Hillsdale talking about In His Image, He Made Them Male and Female, some of the 
attacks surrounding that taking place at Cronin Auto Family GMC of Perrysburg. Register at massimpact.us forward slash BNB. And as you're thinking about Advent, God is summoning us, marriages and families, to more than just, you know, a season of frantic preparation. He wants us to make it a godly, holy retreat. Peter spoke of the power of a St. Ignatian retreat. Well, that's what Advent can be and should be. If you are parents and you want to experience the fullness of grace poured out or to a much greater degree, please join us at presenceforchristmas.com and find out more. Peter, it has been such a delight and blessing to have you on the air and just sharing your story and just your heart and um, this uh, challenging role that you have in uniting so many of us together uh, in seeing this this state truly become, uh, you know, if you will, a, a city on a hill, a state on a hill, shall we say. You and I have spoken about that. We share that vision and that call with so many godly people, many of whom are listening. And uh, gosh, if we would just embrace Christ outpoured on the cross through the sacraments and the fullness of our faith and love others, this could be truly reverberate throughout this entire country. I know that's your heart and vision and your labor. And we unite with you in it again at ohiolife.org. Peter, if you'll lead us in prayer. Thank you, Greg and Stephanie, so much for the opportunity to be with you guys. I love you guys. Thanks for all the great work that you do. Let's pray. Romans 5, 8 says that, but God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are sinners in need of your grace. From the abortion doctor um, to the individual who's of a different party, Lord, uh, to our family members, we are all sinners, all in need of your grace. So we repent right now, Father, of any sins on our heart or mind. We are sorry, Father for not fully giving ourselves completely to you. We pray that you might give us the newness of life, your Holy Spirit, so that we might love others as you have loved us, that we might forgive the inexcusable in others as you have forgiven the inexcusable in us. Father, I give you the praise and glory for the gift of family. Made in your image and likeness, male and female, you create us and you create us for union in that family unit. Please protect the family, sustain the family, and grow the family so that our church as well can be a beacon for the rest of our culture and society to draw them into deeper love of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, all through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.